0: We are the world, this week on this, what's a thing?
1: Forty-five above, biggest stars in eighty-five Came together and left their egos at the door We are the
0: world, this was a thing World. This week on this was a This was a thing. Whoa.
2: This was a thing. Whoa. The movie
3: cruising with Al Pacino Whoa Cabbage Patch Dolls and Teddy Rockspin McRib and spoon Moonstruck Oscar win That was a thing This was a thing
2: Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. This
4: week, we're talking about the 1985 classic benefit song, We Are the world we
2: are the children
4: now this was a thing because in the 1980s ethiopia was experiencing a terrible famine
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, what a transition now this was a thing because ethiopia <laughs> well i mean what this
4: is why it was a thing
2: yes it, it no was, you're right it was i'm experiencing
4: sorry. a terrible famine a, a group of some of the biggest names in music at the time got together in 1985 to record a song that would help benefit the people Of Africa in need. Now, Rob, I know you're not really a pop music kind of guy, but based on your response to We Are the World, I know you know this song. We
2: are the world. We We are are the the children. Yeah, so you know the song. Uh, We're the ones who make a brighter day, so let's let's start start living. Oh, giving. Yeah. Oh, not living. That makes sense. (laughs)
4: It was written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson and produced by Quincy Jones. And just to get this out of the way, we'll be discussing Michael Jackson a lot this episode because he has a lot to do with the production of this song. Uh, if it's not your bag, I totally get it. And when I say the biggest names in music, I mean the biggest names in music. Now, the cover of the record did me a solid and listed all the artists alphabetically, so I won't be talking about all these people, but their names at least deserve to be mentioned. Now, remember, the biggest names in music alphabetical order. Are you ready? Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. (coughs) Yes, Dan Aykroyd, but he at least was fairly popular in 1985, right? Yes, Ghostbusters, yes, yes, Blues yes. Brothers, their musical. Uh, their album, Briefcase Full of Blues, went to number one. Uh, after Dan, biggest names in music, 1985. Okay. Uh, Harry Belafonte. Uh, shit. Uh, but he is a legend, though. So that's. I'm not selling this. W- uh, Lindsay Buckingham. There we go. Fleetwood Mac, huh? Kim Carn. She had a hit with Betty Davis Eyes in 81. Look, I'm just going to list the rest in get into some stories during the episode. This is still the intro. Oh, God. Oh, God. Here we go. Dan Aykroyd, Harry Belafonte, Lindsay Buckingham, Kim Carnes, Ray Charles, Bob Dylan, Sheila E., Bob Geldof, Helen Elge, James Ingram, Jackie Jackson, LaToya Jackson, Marlon Jackson, Michael Jackson, Randy Jackson, Tito Jackson, Al Durow, Waylon Jennings, Billy Joel, Cindy Lopper, Huey Lewis, and The News, Kenny Loggins, Bett Midler, Willie Nelson, Jeffrey Osborne, Steve Perry, The Pointer Sisters, Lionel Richie, Smokey Robinson, Kenny Rogers, Diana Ross, Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen, Tina Turner, or Diane Warwick and Stevie Wonder. Okay, did you get all that? Uh-huh. Okay, so I used a really great article full of inside information. Called Wikipedia. I used two really great articles <laughs> full you. of inside information. Sorry. One is from Rolling Stone and it's called We Are the World, a minute-by-minute breakdown written by Gavin Edwards. Second was from Esquire and it's called We Are the World, Inside Pop Music's All-Nighter by Ryan DiAgostino. All night long They released a behind-the-scenes video That you could buy to go along with the album You're gonna be hearing some of the clips from that too Oh, and it's hosted by Jane Fonda Oh yeah What? Yeah
1: For many of us watching that night Part of the thrill was seeing so many diverse artists Working together so compatibly With serious purpose But with a sense of humor and spontaneous spirit After all How often have any of us had a chance to see genuine legends like Ray Charles, Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, Tina Turner, Bruce Springsteen, Willie Nelson, oh, and so many more. All in the same room, sharing harmonies, telling jokes, and even shedding tears.
4: I'm going to talk about what happened with We Are The World in order of events. Now, the Esquire article gives a breakdown of the day slash night slash early next morning. Now, one of the main players in the story is Lionel Richie. So first, I'm going to start off with a year. 1983. Now, I'll start off with a two-year-old named Nicole. Nicole Camille Escovito was the daughter of musician Peter Escovito and assistant Karen Moss, who worked for Peter's sister, singer Sheila Escovito, a.k.a. Sheila E. Exactly. Now, Nicole's parents realized they couldn't give Nicole the parenting she deserved, so Lionel Richie and his wife started to take care of Nicole. When Nicole was nine, Lionel and his family officially adopted nicole nicole is now nicole Richie. now she's not necessarily important to the story but i just know listeners would be wondering the whole episode was nicole part of lionel's life when he was doing we are the world and the answer was yes yes she was so for all you nicole Richie stands out there there you go so uh that's out of the way before we get to We Are the World, we, we ha- are the children. We have to talk about the inspiration. Let's head to 1984. The mid 80s are about to start. Reagan just got re elected, winning 49 of 50 states. Ethiopia was in the midst of a famine that the country hadn't seen in over a century. A BBC News report on October 23rd, 1984, shocked the UK. The report featured the nurse Claire Birchinger, who had to choose which children would receive the limit limited amount of food at the feeding station and who were too sick to be saved it was really bad and it was just you know showing the realness of the situation. Uh, Bob Geldof who was the singer of the Boomtown Rats saw the telecast and was deeply affected by it. He decided to put together a benefit record to release by Christmas that year now remember the news report was on October 23rd so he wanted to have it out by Christmas so two months. Now uh, November 25th 1984 Geldof was able to bring together some of the biggest names in UK pop music together plus Some members of Cool and the Gang to record and release Do They Know It's Christmas in time for Christmas 1984. Now, it was released under the group name Band Aid. Artists to sing on, on this besides Cool in the Gang include members of U2, members of Duran Duran, members of Wham, members of Boomtown Rats, members of Banana Rama, members of Spandau
2: Ballet, Boy George, Sting, and Phil Collins. Which monkeys? With typewriters, were coming up with band names in the exactly, 80s. Exactly, right. An Anorama, Applecore,
4: <laughs> is this milk fresh? Now, do they know this Christmas was released in the UK on December 3rd, 1984? It only took about a week from recording to release, and it entered the UK singles chart at number one and stayed there for five weeks, becoming Christmas number one. Christmas number one is whatever the song is at the top of the UK charts is that year on Christmas time. A lot of times it's a novelty song or Christmas related. So that's an actual thing they look at. The song sold a million copies in the first week, becoming the fastest selling single in UK chart history. The song also reached number one in 13 other countries. In the U.S., it fell short of the top 10 in the Billboard Hot 100 due to lack of airplay, but it sold an estimated 2.5 million copies by January 1985. In 1989, it sold 11.7 million copies worldwide. Geldof hoped that it would raise £70,000, which is about $83,000 for Ethiopia, and within a year, it raised £8 million, which is £9.5 Now, Harry Belafonte, who I mentioned earlier, wasn't just a singer, but he was a social activist. After seeing what Band-Aid did with Do They Know It's Christmas, he had an idea. Now, this is from Esquire. Harry Belafonte saw the report about Ethiopia and had an idea to organize a concert for all African-American musicians to raise money for the cause. He called Ken Cragen for help. Harry, Cragen said, the thing about concerts is it's next to impossible. Cragen used to manage Harry Chapin, the superstar free spirit of the 70s, until the day Chapin died in a car accident in 1981. Chapin was always raising money to fight hunger and homelessness. Cragen had been trying to put together a blockbuster concert to support Chapin's legacy and the logistics were hell. But he had another idea. Not a concert. A song! Geldof has shown us the way, Cragen told Belafonte, and we got bigger stars here. Let's go right from the Billboard chart. Who's big? We want to sell records. Now, he planned to have the proceeds donated to a new organization called United Support of Artists for Africa. USA for Africa. So, I didn't realize that. That meant for United support of artists. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I thought it was United States of America. Now the nonprofit foundation would then provide food and relief aid to starving people in Africa, especially Ethiopia. Harry Belafonte contacted entertainment manager and fellow fundraiser Ken Cragan. Like I said, he asked his client Lionel Richie, who recently had his hit, All Night Long. All night- and Kenny Rogers be involved. You no know way to fold them, right? Now, Cragen and the two musicians agreed to help Belafonte and in turn enlisted the participation of Stevie Wonder. Now, Quincy Jones was asked to co-produce the song. He was taking time out of his work on the film The Color Purple. Quincy Jones also telephoned Michael Jackson to get on board. He had released Thriller in 1982, and he was actually just finishing up a tour with his brothers. Now, Thriller is obviously the highest selling record album of all time. And the tour the Jacksons were on was the Victory Tour, which featured all six Jackson brothers, Rob. All six. What about
2: Jan and Latoya?
4: No, it was all brothers. It was no. No! It's Guy's Night. Now, Stevie Wonder wouldn't end up being available to help write the song. He was in the middle of working on the music for the 1984 Gene Wilder film, The Woman in Red. Uh,
2: uh, uh, I just called to say I love. It was you. his biggest hit, and he would. Win the Oscar. Exactly, for best original song. So God awful movie. Have you seen the movie? No. It's atrocious. <laughs> really? It's atrocious. Well, at least it has a good soundtrack. It is.
4: Uh, now, with Stevie unavailable, that left the songwriting to the songwriting team of Lionel and Michael. They would write it at Jackson's Encino Estate, Havenhurst. Uh, they wrote at night over the... <laughs> Things co- you
2: never thought you'd hear. Encino Estate. They, oh, yeah,
4: exactly. <laughs> I didn't realize that he had an Encino Estate, but I guess Joe Jackson bought it when they moved here from Indiana. Um, and Pasadena
2: so, Pied And I
4: think his daughter still... Uh, Michael Jackson's daughter still lives in the home. Does she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they wrote at night over the course of a week working on melodies and the lyrics in Michael's bedroom. So I guess there wasn't any other... Rooms to write in. Uh, now <laughs> not they, in a mansion. No, yeah, they wanted it to sound like an anthem, but also have it be memorable. You know, and it would be a simple to sing. You know, easy peasy. You know, something an anthem, an easy singable anthem. You know. Michael's older sister, LaToya, talked to People magazine about being there. I'd go into the room where they were writing and it would be very quiet, which is odd since Michael's usually very cheery when he works, but it was very emotional for them. She also later said that Michael wrote most of the lyrics, but he's never felt it necessary to say that. Lionel has a little bit of a a different memory from the songwriting session. Richie told Billboard, I'm on the floor in Michael's bedroom, I, I don't think he had a bed." He just slept on the floor. Uh, there's a bunch of albums around the wall, and there's a carpet and a little bench. I'm writing the first ver- verse. There comes a time, and I hear over my shoulder, and there's a goddamn fucking python, a boa constrictor, a python. Who cares what the hell it is? It was a big-ass, ugly-ass snake. I'm from Alabama. What you do with the snake is you call the police and shoot the damn thing. I was screaming, and Michael saying, There he is, Lionel. We found him. He was hiding behind the albums. We knew he was in the room. We just didn't know where he was. I said, you're out of your frickin' mind. It took me about two hours to call my ass back down. So Michael Jackson just had a boa constrictor going around his... Someone
2: needs to make a movie of how this, this song came to be. Oh,
4: absolutely. Now, Lionel recorded two melodies for We Are the World, which Michael then took, adding music and vocals to the song on the same day. Michael said, I love working quickly. I went in and came out the same night with the song completed. Drums, piano, strings, and the words to the chorus. Now, Michael then gave the demo he made to Lionel and Quincy Jones. They were both shocked because they didn't think Michael could figure out the structure of the song so quickly. The next meetings between Lionel and Michael were unsuccessful. They couldn't figure out any additional lyrics and basically got nothing done. But it wasn't until the night of January 21st, 1985, that they completed the lyrics and melody of We Are the World. They did it within two and a half hours, only one night before the song's first recording session was supposed to go down. So they were waiting till the very last minute. Like me. The next night, January 22nd, Michael Lionel, Quincy Jones, and Stevie Wonder, he's back recorded a demo at Kenny Rogers' Lion Share Recording Studio <laughs> in Los Angeles. Now, Ken Cragen had the hard task of finding a studio to record this group of music megastars. He said, the single most damaging piece of information is where we're doing this. If this shows up anywhere, we've got a chaotic situation that could totally destroy the project. The moment a Prince, a Michael Jackson, a Bob Dylan, I guarantee you drives up and sees a mob around that studio, he'll never come in. They ended up choosing A&M Studios, which is now Jim Henson Studios on La Brea. Now, on the same night, Quincy Jones' associate producer and vocal manager, Tom Baylor, was given the task of matching each solo line with the right voice. Baylor said, it's like vocal arranging in a perfect world. But Quincy Jones disagreed, saying the task was like, quote, putting a watermelon in a Coke bottle. Now, the following evening, Lionel Richie held a choreography session at his home where where it was decided who was going to stand where. But they still had to figure out who they wanted to ask to be involved. Now, Ken Cragen said that even with the success of Do They Know It's Christmas, it was still hard to explain to music managers what the goal was. But he said that once Bruce Springsteen was on board, that everyone wanted in the boss now the day the recording hat arrived january 28th 1985 from esquire now tonight they would actually record it but before that there was the american music awards televised on abc one of the biggest nights of the year craigen's masterstroke in scheduling the recording session was doing it on the night of the awards when so many artists would be in town so they didn't have to schedule a lot of people it was just the night of an award show Richie not only was nominated for eight awards, he was hosting the thing, too. He was supposed to be there at the Shrine Auditorium by 10 this morning for rehearsals. It was 7.30 a.m. Get it together. Now, Richie and crew were up until 3 a.m. working out the final touches. Journey singer Steve Perry was one of the first people to arrive. Perfect hair and all. He couldn't believe he was there. He said, Am I dreaming or am I on drugs? My driver's supposed to take me to a coke den. After the American Music Awards were over, which was around 9.30, the star-filled limos started to show up, baby. Woo! There were two entrances once people got there. The one to the left was to the waiting room outside Studio A, where they'd be recording. Artists only. Stop, please. Now, besides artists and recording staff, the video crew and stills photographer were allowed in. Now, the other entrance to the right led to a large room called the Chaplin Stage. It was half a football field long and was a stage where they filmed TV shows and movies. The several hundred people that came just to be around the megastar musicians wouldn't be allowed around them when they were working. Strictly business, okay, people from Esquire. There was a strict rule. No one except the artist would be allowed in Studio A. No wives, boyfriend, managers, or publicists. No old bandmates from the Commodores there was no red carpet. Separating everyone from their families was the toughest part because everyone wanted to walk their wives and mothers and fathers and everyone, the family members, into the recording studio, Richie says. And we had to go, no, the families are over to the right. The artists will be over to the left. Now, even supermodel Christy Brinkley had to stay in there. She was engaged to Billy Joel and was a megastar in her own right. But that didn't matter. She wasn't on the track. Now, other people who had to stay in the Chaplin stage were Steve Martin, Brooke Shields, world champion Los Angeles Laker, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, Dionne Warwick was doing a residency in Las Vegas and recalls that Steve Wynn had given her the night off to participate, flying her to Los Angeles for the night in his jet. I was ordered by Mr. Quincy Jones to be there, Warwick says. When Quincy speaks, everyone listens. Now, Bette Midler, Cyndi Lauper, Kenny Loggins, Willie Nelson, it was like a record store come to life. Everyone looked a little mystified, smiling, yes, but maybe not quite sure what was happening. At one point, the gate opened for a man on foot. Springsteen, jeans, black leather jacket, gloves with the fingers cut off. 24 hours ago, he was on stage in Syracuse. He drove himself to the studio in a rental car, and he told Cragen, I got a great parking spot right on La Brea. Yes! That's why he's the boss. He is, blue collar. Everyone that entered through the door at Studio A passed a sign that said, check your egos at the door.
2: Yes, A literal sign
4: that Quincy wasn't going to put up with any bullshit. Now, uh, Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates remembered, everybody usually walks around with their assistant or their entourage, but you had to walk in the door yourself, just you and be in this room with a lot of people like you, with your peers, many of whom I had never met and vice versa. They had never met me. It was... What's the word? Slightly disconcerting. I'm a pretty self-sufficient guy, and I'm used to walking into a situation having some support around me. So it was everyone was you know, a little off their game. A lot of these stars were meeting for the first time, and they were hugs going all around. Joel hugged Jackson, Loggins hugged Springsteen, Diana Ross hugged Sheila E., while Bob Dylan stood behind them not hugging anybody.
2: Good for you, Bob.
5: <laughs> you saw artists that had just met for the evening hugging each other or comforting each other. I will
0: tell you, though, no one who <laughs> was intimidated.
5: To walk into their midst and to feel an
2: instant sense of camaraderie, an instant sense of belonging, an instant sense of oneness, is, an, is a very, very unusual experience. It's really lovely.
4: There were black risers set up for everyone to stand on with pieces of tape with people's names on them, marking where they were supposed to stand. Michael Jackson said to Quincy Jones, Diana doesn't like where she's standing. Now, Diana Ross ended up being in a primetime spot in the front row between Jackson and Stevie Wonder. So Diana didn't say anything. Michael just knew. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody else that was in the front row was Ray Charles. Even amongst the huge stars, he was in a league of his own. Now, the reverence that people had for him in the room was unmatched. The big stars knew that other big stars would be there, but Ray Charles was a treat for all. Now, the first thing Quincy wanted to get out of the way was recording the chorus with everyone there. Uh, Once they had that, they could move on to solos. Pretty easy. Everybody got to their assigned spots finding their name. Now, in his autobiography, Q, Quincy Jones says that each star had a spot marked on the floor where they would be standing during the chorus. He says, We didn't want to encourage decision-making during the session. Any decision. Where they would stand, what they would sing, when they would sing it. We had to think it through and spell it all out. Over the years, I've learned the hard way that once a group of this size and stature gets involved and making decisions,
2: you're in trouble. Yes. Yes, this is true.
4: <laughs> Daryl Hall remembered, everybody was sort of left-footed. We were all like, whoa, what are we doing? Everybody had to figure out how to relate to each other. So everybody started to act like they were in the eighth grade chorus. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever experienced. All these superstars, whatever you want to call them, we all turned into junior high kids in chorus, and Quincy Jones became Mr. Jones. That's how it shook out, laughing like kids. So they were at least having a good time. From Esquire... Jones pointed to some strips on the f- tape of the floor with names written on them in blue. He told everyone these were their solos, which would be recorded later, after they laid down the chorus. This was a little awkward. Anyone who didn't see their name now understood that, that he or she had not been a, given a solo. It's like the
2: high school drama list. Exactly.
4: One piece of tape said, Daryl Hall and Steve Perry and Michael Jackson on either side. The name of John Oates, Hall's other half, was not written on a piece of tape on the floor.
2: Whoa. Happy New Year, Ray. Happy New Year, Rob. Any resolutions? Yeah, to be more generous. You? Same. I wonder if any of our listeners wish to be more generous, too.
4: Well, listeners, if generosity is on your resolution list, head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for This Was a Thing, and set a monthly donation.
2: Even a dollar helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we're doing. And if your resolution is to get rid of all your fatty foods and start a healthy diet, please mail me all fatty foods courtesy of the UPS store on Amsterdam Avenue. Stop that. Mm. May this year bring you happiness, health, and Howard the Duck. Miss Cleo foresees a wonderful year ahead. The cards don't lie.
4: Now, before they were about to start, Quincy Jones introduced a very important person when it came to the project, Bob Geldot, the man who put together Do They Know It's Christmas.
0: And I don't know if we in particular can conceive of nothing, but nothing is not having a cardboard box to sleep under a minus 10 degrees. Nothing is not having any drink to get drunk on, not having water and you walk into one of the corrugated iron huts and you see meningitis the malaria and typhoid buzzing around in the air and you see dead bodies lying side by side with the live ones and on a good day you can only see 120 people die slowly in front of you. On some of the camps you see 15 bags of flour for 27,500 people. And it's that that we're here for I don't want to bring anybody down, but maybe it's the best way of making what you really feel, why you're really here tonight, come out through this song. So thanks a lot, everybody. Let's hope it works.
4: Around 11.45 p.m., about two hours into the session, they were still trying to figure things out. And something that they, they still didn't understand completely were the lyrics. Now, was it Better Day or was it Brighter Day?
5: Whichever one feels good to you, which one feels better or brighter? Brighter is the one everybody's leaning to, right? I Maybe mean, a change. Nah, no, I think it should be brighter. <laughs> I feel like everyone was singing brighter. Is brighter?
3: No better, brighter. Yeah, it's gonna be brighter now.
5: i better, have am bite. I don't want to open a can of worms, stay with brighter.
1: You don't ever sing
0: that?
3: No, no better,
1: it's brighter. It's true, we make a brighter day. It's true, we make a brighter day, just you and me, instead of better. Everybody say brighter, because that's what they're saying, they're saying anyway.
2: The footage that you're showing me is so incredible because all of these people are huge freaking stars and none of them look it. Yeah. They look like you're in the high school choir yeah, trying to figure out. Yeah, just trying to figure out. Exactly. Mr. Jones. Yeah, exactly. Is it brighter or better? Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I don't care. Yeah, you know, there's some kiss ass
4: in the, in the class. Oh, here. absolutely. Even with the disagreements, they still pushed on, still knowing what the end game was. Now, this is from Esquire. But it must be said, when the group sang together, hitting every note of the chorus Jackson and Ritchie had written, full volume, it felt like a new sound, something human ears had never experienced. Session photographer Henry Diltz was standing next to Jones, seeing it through his camera, but hearing it with his whole body. The heavenly choir, he recalls. Like I mentioned, everyone was excited to see and meet the fellow stars from Rolling Stone. Al Jarreau took the opportunity during the sessions to introduce himself to Bob Dylan. Bobby, in my own stupid way, I just want to tell you I love you. Dylan walked away from Jarreau without even making eye contact. Now, according to David Breskin of Life magazine, Jarreau then said, My idol! And started sobbing. <laughs> Poor Al you <Duro>. They're tired. <laughs> uh, it got to be 4 a.m. and it was finally time to start recording the solos. Now, Lionel gave himself the first line of the song. He wanted to get out of the way. Lionel remembered, I looked at the talent that was coming that night and I wanted to get out of the way early because when you start thinking Ray Charles is coming in that lineup, there's Springsteen sitting over there in the corner and there's every major power singer in the world coming down that pipe. You know what? I wanted to get out of the barrage as soon as possible. So, you know, he wanted—that was smart. From Esquire, The soloists stood in a semicircle, each taking a line with the next person coming in, in on harmony, then doing their own line, and so on. After Richie and Stevie Wonder opened the song, the next duo was Kenny Rogers and Paul Simon. Rogers was a big guy, six feet tall. The way he moved around was big. His hands were big. His beard was big. Simon was five foot two. Their voices together created perhaps the greatest unexpected alchemy on the recording.
0: There are people dying. Oh, when it's time
3: to lend a hand to life. The greatest gift of all.
4: Next up was James Ingram, who probably has one of my favorite voices of the bunch. He's in what seems to be a silver tracksuit. Now, I was expecting him to squirt himself with a bottle of water because that's what he was looking like. Now, he had a number one hit with Baby Cone to me in 1982. Now, James leads us into Tina Turner, and Tina leads into Billy Joel. Tina is at full-peak Tina Turner hair. Now, the headphone's struggling to stay on her head. Billy Joel has the most quintessential 80s Wall Street beard I've ever seen on someone who isn't a broker. Either way, he was in his mid-80s peak, currently in between the hit albums *An Innocent Man and The Bridge.
0: We all are part of God's great big family And the truth, you know love
4: now, after Tina and Billy was Michael singing the chorus... Now, after Michael's chorus is Diana Ross's solo. Now, this is also at peak time when Michael started to morph into Diana Ross, so just to give you an example. <laughs> now, around 4.30 a.m., hamburgers appeared, and Miss Diana Ross was passing them out to the crew that was there. Now, she tore her burger in half and gave half to Tommy turbovich the music video director. He remembered, she said, come here, come here, you haven't eaten, he says, one of his clearest memories of the night and one of the few he didn't see through a lens. I don't want to say she was... Let's just say she had been difficult other times I had worked with her. So, she went yes. from being a diva to a hamburger slinger. It's burger time! It's <laughs> burger time, Another baby. Another puts a smile on Diana Ross's face like slinging burgers. Now, after Diana Solowitz, future Twitter celebrity Dion Warwick's part, she paired with Willie Nelson. Willie almost forgets to come in. Uh <laughs> Willie was definitely high. Yeah. <laughs> then Al Jarreau jumps in with that sweet, sweet jazz voice. Now this is from Rolling Stone. With a squint, Nelson delivers the oddest line in the song. As God has shown us by turning stone to bread. Now, actually, there is no biblical passage where God transforms stone to bread, although he gets a shout-out for bringing forth all food from the earth in Psalms 104. In Matthew 4, however, the devil comes to Jesus Christ in the desert after he's been fasting for 40 days, and trying to tempt him, tells him that he should change the stones into bread. Christ spurns him with the aphorism, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, the bottom line when people are suffering from famine, it seems cruel to bring up the possibility of stones being edible. Which I thought was an interesting point that was made by Rolling Stone. Now, Thank you. After Dion, Willie, and Algero, we get some Bruce, some Kenny Loggins, Journey Hung Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, more Michael, Huey Lewis singing Prince's line. Then Cindy Lauper jumps in with a big old, well, well, well. Unfortunately, Cindy's super 80s jewelry. Was too loud for the engineers.
5: We had a lot of, uh, bracelets.
0: Oh, yeah. is that? Oh. oh, my earrings. Oh, sorry.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no.
4: Cindy was Kim Carnes, who was fighting a sinus infection. Now, she pushed through, though, because she didn't want her solo to go to someone else. Now, at 5 a.m., it was time to record Mr. Bob Dylan's part. Now, one of the best stories I've read while researching for this show involves Bob Dylan is this. Now, so Bob was nervous and he couldn't get his part down. Bob needed Stevie Wonder and Quincy Jones to sing his part as Bob Dylan. Mm.
0: sort of it. Yeah. Sort of like
2: that. Yeah. Right. Bob is the freshman choir.
4: <laughs> Just imagine Stevie Wonder doing a Bob Dylan impression for Bob Dylan so Bob Dylan can learn to sing his part like Bob Dylan. It's very trippy. After Bob finally got his part the way he wanted, he gave what was probably only his second smile of the evening after a hug from Quincy. So
2: Bob likes affection.
4: <laughs> two smiles from Bob Dylan in one night is pretty good. Now... Bob walked back to the risers and then it was time for the boss to step <gasps> up. I know. Now here is Quincy talking about Mr.
5: Bruce Springsteen. Guy's probably one of the hardest working cats I've ever met before in my life. I kept waiting for him to get tired and sit down and rest. He kept saying, want me to do it again?
0: A choice we'll make. Yeah,
4: Bruce was the last to sing his parts for that night. So around 8.20 a.m., people started to leave the recording studio. They were done. For
2: now, but in a long day, it would
4: come back a few days later to record a few more parts, mainly James Ingram, Stevie Wonder, and some more Ray Charles to add in at the end of the song, you know, to fill it out.
5: So you fit, show fit. me what you want now and where you want that thing. and then that's all you have to do. Go one shot through. If there's every word that you want to use professional on in the music business is Ray Charles. I call him the one take genius.
2: I, did. I don't know what to say. I really
4: like that. I thought it was just so cool and interesting. They showed Ray Charles uh, writing down the lyrics with his, his, his braille and yeah. it was just so interesting like seeing him him reading his braille while recording and stuff I don't know I thought that was so interesting After a month of mixing We Are The World was released on March 7th 1985 In the US it was a number 1 hit on the R&B Singles Charts the Hot Adult Contemporary Tracks Charts and the Billboard Hot 100 re- remained for a month Now outside of the US the single reached number 1 in Australia France Ireland New Zealand the Netherlands Norway Sweden Switzerland and the UK The song peaked at number two in two countries, Germany and Austria. The single was a commercial success. The initial shipment of 800,000 We Are The World records sold out within three days of release. The record became the fastest-selling American pop single in history. At the Tower Record Store on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, 1,000 copies of the song were sold in two days. Store worker Richard Petipas said, A number one single sells about 100 to 125 copies a week. This is absolutely unheard of. So, a thousand copies in two days. So, that's insane. By the end of 1985, We Are The World had become the year's biggest selling single. Five years later, it was revealed that the song had become the biggest single of the 1980s. We Are The World was eventually cited as the best-selling single in U.S. and pop music history. The song became the first single to be certified multi-platinum. It received a four-time certification by the Recording Industry Association of America, The estimated global sales of We Are The World are said to be about 20 million copies sold. Now, critics were mixed. Some said it sounded like a Pepsi jingle, while some felt lines like, we're saving our own lives, were self-serving. But it didn't matter what they thought. It was a hit, and it was putting money towards a great cause. Now, at the 1986 Grammy Awards, the song and its accompanying music video won four awards— Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with a Vocal and Best Music Video Short Form. And the 1985 MTV Video Music Awards won the award for Best Group Video and Viewer's Choice. The People's Choice Awards recognized We Are the World with Favorite New Song Award in 1986. And also in 1986, the American Music Awards, which it all kind of was the beginning of this, named We Are the World Song of the Year and honored organizer Harry Belafonte with the Award of Appreciation. Four months after the release of We Are The World, USA for Africa had taken in almost $10.8 million, which is equivalent to about $27 million today. The majority of the money came from the record sales within the U.S. Members of the public also donated money, almost $1.3 million within the same time period. So they were making a lot of money for this cause. In May 1985, USA for Africa officials estimated that they had sold between $45 million and $47 million worth of official merchandise around the world. Organizer Ken Cragen announced that they would not be distributing all the money at once. Instead, he revealed that the foundation would be looking into finding a long-term solution for Africa's problems. He said we could go out and spend it all in one shot. Maybe we'd save some lives in the short term, but we would be—it would be putting a bandaid over a serious wound. Craigan noted that experts had predicted that it would take at least ten to twenty years to make a slight difference in Africa's long-term problems. So. It was going to take a while. Now, since its release, We Are The World has raised over $63 million, which is equivalent to $156 million today for humanitarian causes. 90% of the money was pledged to African relief, both long and short term. The long-term initiative included efforts in birth control and food production. The remaining 10% of funds was earmarked for domestic hunger and homeless programs in the U.S. Here's what Lionel Richie said about We Are The World. We came in like little kids on their first day of kindergarten, and we were all kind of looking at each other, but we didn't quite oh my god, there's a this kid over there and there's another kid over there. Everyone was kind of freaked out standing next to each other for a brief moment. And then all of a sudden we realized it's not about us. We're, all, we're actually using our voice and our celebrity to save some people. And it's about us giving everything we have to save their lives. So I think the brilliance of that evening was we started out as 45 artists looking at each other and going, yeah, I'm famous and you're famous. We left as a family. Oh. And what about Dan Aykroyd? The
2: great singer Dan Aykroyd?
4: Now, this is from Rolling Stone. So how did he end up as part of USA for Africa? Totally by accident, he told New Hampshire Magazine in 2010. My father and I were interviewing business managers in L.A., and we walked into this office of a talent manager presumably, Craig, and, and realized we were in the wrong place. I was looking for a money manager, not a talent manager. I managed myself at that time and always have. But he said, so long as you're here, would you like to come and join this We Are The World thing? I thought, how do I fit in here? Well, I did sell a few million records with the Blues Brothers, and in my other persona, I am a musician. So I showed up and was a part of it. That's the, that's the right answer. Now, when we get back from the break, we'll talk about some s- other celebrity-led concerts and songs. Some that were good, some that weren't so good. Oh.
5: This was a thing, this was a thing.
1: And now, this is a sketch.
4: Well, you need to try again. Look, I have no idea what this we are the world thing is, but the Hoff needs in.
2: David, I've left 17 messages on Quincy's machine. He's aware you're interested in being part of we are the world, whatever the hell it is.
4: Did you say anything in those messages that David Hasselhoff is a damn national
1: treasure?
2: I did. I'm not sure how much leverage being a national treasure in Germany will get you.
1: Look, I already translated it. The Welt. That's We Are The World in German, okay? Uh, th- that's at least another 50k sold. That's mucho, mucho deutsche marks.
2: Hey, if it makes you feel any better, it's going to be primarily acts known for their music. They're doing it right after the AMAs, for God's sake. The amount of actors is very low, huh? Very low.
4: But I'm not just an actor. That's what you told me. That's why I fired my old agent and hired you. You understand the package that is the Hoff. And I'm not just talking about my penis package. No, no, no. I'm talking about the whole Hoff kit in Caboodle. (laughs)
2: Trust me, baby. I know you got the good. So do our friends in Deutschland.
4: Yeah. yeah. So
1: what actors are going to be there?
2: Well, Dan Aykroyd got asked, but it was by accident, from what I understand. And they're not going to welch with Dan Aykroyd. I mean, the man's been through so much in the last few years. Yeah, that's true, Belushi. Spies like us.
1: Uh, Well, who else?
2: Do you count Kenny Rogers as the gambler?
1: (laughs) No one counts Kenny Rogers as the gambler. (laughs) Right, right? (laughs) Hold on. Someone's on the other line. No, 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 no. Hello, this
4: is Hoff. David,
5: Kit here. I'm just coming from this party on Tito Jackson's driveway and you'll never guess what happened.
4: Michael put his glove on the side view mirror, didn't he?
5: Even better, David. I was asked to end the famine in Africa, David. Can you believe that? Me, a little old 82 Firebird Trans Am that's powered by an advanced microprocessor.
4: Are you delivering food or something? <laughs> How are you going to get there? What is it? What are you going to do? Just show off?
5: No, David. They asked me to sing a song called We Are The World. They're recording it at AM m Studios on La Brea. You know the one. Used to be Chaplin Studio. Anyway, they asked me to come in and at least sing in the group number. Tito even said that Lionel has a spot for me on the floor right next to Diana Ross. Diana Ross, David. Can you imagine?
4: Uh, ho- hold on. Hold on one second. Um, I, I
5: gotta ho- Just hold on. Where are you going, David? Hmm. That hack agent is on the other line, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, just, just hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Beep. The car got a goddamn
1: invite.
2: They just installed barn doors, Hoff. It was a pity invite.
1: Du bist gefreut.
2: Fired? Duh. That's Russian. You are international, Hoff.
1: Thank you. This was a sketch.
4: So, shortly after We Are the World, on July 13th, 1985, Bob Geldof put the benefit concert Live Aid to help raise more funds for the famine relief. Two concerts were held simultaneously in London and Philadelphia. Wembley Arena in London and JFK Stadium in Philadelphia were both filled to the brim. It was the largest satellite link-up and television broadcasts of all time. There was an estimated viewing audience of, get this, 1.9 billion people in 150 countries, nearly 40% of the world's population. 1.9 billion people. people—in I mean, that's, that, that blew my mind reading that. There was an expose published in Spin Magazine saying that some of the funds raised were used by Ethiopian government to purchase weapons from the Soviet Union. But that's a story for another episode. Now, Bob Dylan was a performer at Live Aid and said this during his set. I hope that some of the money, maybe they can just take a little bit of it, maybe, one or two million, maybe, and use it, say, to pay the mortgages of some of the farms and the farmers here owed to the banks. That quip sparked the idea for Farm Aid. Now, Farm Aid was on September 22, 1985, Willie Nelson, Neil Young, and John Mellencamp organized the music festival to benefit American farmers. 80,000 people were in attendance and it raised $9 million and there's been a farm aid almost every year since, including a Zoom one during COVID lockdowns. After a 7.0 magnitude earthquake devastated Haiti in 2010, Quincy Jones and Lionel Richie got another group of recording artists together to cut another We Are The World, this time for Haiti. 2010 was also the 25th anniversary of the original song. They recorded at the same studio, and the session took 14 hours. This time, 85 musicians in total were involved, and it was after the Grammys, so people were in town. Titled, We Are the World, 25 for Haiti. It was released on February 10th, 2010. Here is the opening of it. Remember how Lionel Richie got the original opening line? Uh, well, this time, it was 15-year-old Justin Bieber, followed by Nicole Scherzinger, and then Jennifer Hudson. How the mighty
2: have fallen. <laughs>
0: There comes a time when we hear a certain call, when the world must come Come
1: together together as one. There are people dying, when it's time to lend a hand
0: to life, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on.
4: Now it has. The most random mishmash of singers, uh, we have Lil Wayne, Barbara Streisand, Adam Levine, Tony Bennett, Pink, Enrique Iglesias, Celine Dion, and Haitian artist Wyclef John, who also produced. It was panned by critics for its overuse of auto-tune while also being, quote, horribly oversung. So (laughs) there's a lot. It was also panned for the rap section. We
2: all need somebody that we can lean on. You know, but that's music. I don't know what's the problem. This all leads me to another all-star
4: celebrity music event. Now, I don't think this one raised any money, but it raised many eyebrows. Now, at the beginning of the COVID lockdowns in 2020, actress Gal Gadot wanted to do something that was meant to lift spirits.
0: Imagine there's no
1: heaven.
0: It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us on only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Yeah. There
4: is no it featured self-shot clips of celebrities singing different lines from the John Lennon classic Imagine. Celebrities included Kristen Wiig, Sarah Silverman, James Marston, Jimmy Fallon, Natalie Portman, Pedro Pascal, Will Ferrell, Nora Jones, and Maya Rudolph. Yes, I left other A-listers off the list. There was tons. Well, it was not well-received. It got labeled out of touch and cringy. Gal Gadot had the best intentions, but boy... It was not good. Do you remember this? I do
2: not. You don't I actually remember the not. Imagine? Oh my God. No. This was like literally. I never. Beginning. I don't. It was
4: everyone being at home.
2: and. It when was, was this during COVID? It was
4: like the within a, the first month of COVID oh, and everyone no, was in I lockdown. Probably, no. Now, I'm sure there will be more celebrity songs that raise funds for noble causes in the future.
2: Like mine for those that have moderate to severe plaque psoriasis.
4: Exactly. And Rob and I are trying to get together a. A, a, a group of the, all the podcasting men just to, <laughs> to, do a, to do a song. Mark Maron is yeah, going to take the first verse. Exactly. With the rise of social media and the advancement of technology, it's just so much easier for artists to collaborate nowadays. So it's just, you know, you can do it from your phone and go, look at this. We've got a, we've got a hit. Now, what do you say, Rob? Won't you join me in a song? I'd love to
2: let's play a game let's play a game
4: with mark schroeder with mark schroeder let's play a game with
2: mark schroeder Schroeder. with mark schroeder Schroeder. there's a choice we're making will it be a b or
1: c this was a thing and now it's a quiz this is a this was a quiz Mark Schroeder.
4: So, Mark, who is your favorite
3: vocalist in We Are The World? Dan Aykroyd.
1: Nice! Yes! (laughs) That's
0: mine, too! Good choices. Uh Good.
3: Yeah, I'm always very uh, confused when he popped up in that video. Oh, yeah. uh, why? But it it was a massive hit. I saw the video a bunch, heard the song a ton. Huge hit in 1985. But it got me thinking, what... Was the world, they say, we are the world. What was the world like in 1985?
2: Not pretty, I'll tell you. Yeah, you were there and you were 40 years old. I was there. (laughs) I had
3: just retired. (laughs) I was working at Procter & Gamble. (laughs) We're going to find out what the world was like in 1985 with a little game called, What Was the World? What Was the Children? (laughs) What Was the Children? Uh, I'm going to read, you guys are working together on this. I'm going to read the name of a person, place, or thing. You guys are going to work together to determine if that person, place, or thing existed in the year 1985. Oh, wow. Okay, Okay,
2: great. I'm excited. First noun, Burma. No, it did not exist in 1985.
3: Yes, it did. In 1989, it was changed to Myanmar. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm
2: sorry. My apologies to our listeners in Burma. I'm sorry, Myanmar. (laughs) Myanmar.
3: How about Czechoslovakia? How about your listeners in Czechoslovakia? Did Czechoslovakia exist in eighty five? Nineteen eighty five. Yes. Yes, it did. It was peacefully split into the Czech Republic and Slovakia in nineteen ninety three. How about Hillary Duff? Yes. yes. No.
4: Hillary Duff. Yeah, because she's she older than you. Her birthday is September twenty eighth.
2: Uh, 1986, I believe. So she didn't exist in '85. No, she did, no, she did
3: not. Yes, she did not exist. It was 1987. 87. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just know her birthday's two days before mine. How about Rebel Wilson? Did Rebel yes. Wilson? Oh yeah, yeah. Rebel oh, yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's 1980. 1980 for Rebel Wilson. How about Luigi? Of Mario and Luigi. We fame. know this
2: um, um, Mario and Luigi, yes, was 1985 when the game got released.
3: Uh, yes, that was Super Mario. They existed before that, though, in Mario Brothers, where they were in the pipe. But in 83, he would. So, oh. yeah, he did exist. Yeah, they were laying pipe. Pre, pre, they were laying pipe back then. Oh. What about HPV? Everybody's always talking about HPV. Did HPV wow, exist back papilloma. in oh, the human
2: papilloma virus? Is it like a, is this like a new STI in like the grand scheme of things? Did you Hear about the new STI? No. What's it called? HPV. Wow, that sounds hot. Do you have it?
3: I, I've heard that about thirty percent of
2: the population actually has it. Wow.
4: We're watching
3: this in like a study hall school. <laughs> like school's <laughs> making us watch this shitty.
4: <laughs> uh, let's see. It wasn't around.
3: It was around nineteen eighty three. whole bin 1983. And nothing? Nineteen eighty three. But hey. You know, you get a point for the bit, so I'm going to give it to you. Uh, It was isolated from the human cervical cancer tissue in 1983. That was the year I was born. Uh oh. First mobile phone. Oh, oh, before yes, before that, yeah, that was seventy three by Motorola. That was around for a while. How about Paul lind Oh, he, he was, was dead. dead. He died in eighty two. He died in eighty two is correct. Wow. The Dukes of Hazard, uh was it done by then? That no, ended I... on February eighth, nineteen eighty five. That was, I was playing thinking, yeah, in nineteen eighty five. People wow. were watching the they Dukes filmed of it over Hazard in Simi Valley. You know, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, that makes sense. How about the California Raisins? Oh. oh,
2: I think they came out in
3: 86 or 87. Uh, so I want to say no. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. No. June 1986, Rob. You know your raisins, baby. Damn. You guys experts in what was the world in 1985. And yes. Way to go. I'm really proud. So proud. Of both you guys. Congratulations. Yeah. So you really exam, know right? that snapshot.
4: If you want to just contribute to, uh, to something like, you know, all the artists contribute to uh, We Are The World, go ahead and... Going over to patreon.com Slash this was a thing Five dollars a month Old Lucy level gets get you exclusive content Or you can see our website www.thiswasathing.com Or head on over to our Instagram This was a thing pod Like us Leave us comments Love us Love us, please I don't know Share with your friends You got those group messages Go ahead and share some posts And rate and review it. us
2: Yeah, rate and review us We need to be validated Yeah, please We need something and now to uh, play us out here's Ray with uh, we are the world. We are
4: the world. Oh, we are the children It's
2: beautiful precious
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening to This was a thing and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg. Our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reesey, Our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford. Our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic, DeSavia. And finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at thiswasathingpod and Facebook we are thiswasathingpodcast. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search thiswasathing and support us so we can keep doing this show.